Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for your Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for, once again, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for... Uh, allowing me to break the bread of your word uh, before your people. I just pray that something will be said that will be a blessing to at least one person. And so I pray that I would decrease and you increase. I pray for that gift of teaching, Lord. And I just pray that all of us will have open and receptive hearts to your word and to the work of the Spirit tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 14 through 29. And as usual, we have a title, and it is in the form of a question. And the title of the message is, Are You Looking for Safety? Are You Looking for Safety? Now remember that David and his men had just rescued the city of Keilah from the Philistines. And the Philistines, of course, were the enemies of the nation of Israel during that time. And King Saul, the king of Israel, who wants to kill David, he found out that David was in Keilah. And then Saul was on his way there with his men to capture David and David's men. However, the Lord, in his faithfulness, he revealed to David that Saul was on his way there, and he also revealed to David that the people of Keilah, whom he just rescued and helped, that they were going to turn him over to King Saul, the one who saw David as an enemy. And so God warned him of the betrayal. And so the scriptures tell us in the previous lessons before Um, We get to verse 14. The scriptures tell us that David and the 600 men who were with him had departed from Keilah. And at this point, they they are on the run. They're on the run from King Saul. And so in verse 14 of 1 Samuel 23, it said, And David stayed in the strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness or in the desert of Ziph. And Ziph, by the way, was located southeast of Keilah at that time. And it says that Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver David into Saul's hand. And so David, in verse 15, saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness or that desert of Ziph in a forest. And that forest could also be at Horesh. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, and he went to David in the woods at Horesh, and he strengthened David's hand in God. In other words, he encouraged David to stay strong in his faith in God. And I don't know about you, but Jonathan continues to impress. He continues to impress me. You see, Jonathan's father, the king, wants to kill his best friend, David, and he has already expressed his disapproval of Jonathan's relationship with David. 
Because, of course, King Saul saw David as a rival. He knew that he would one day become king. And he wanted his son, Jonathan, to take over. And, of course, he himself wanted to remain king. And so there's that envy. There's that jealousy. There's that hatred in Saul's heart. And Jonathan knew that. So David is the next king. But it didn't bother Jonathan at all. Didn't bother him at all. It didn't bother him that he would have been the next king if it were not for his dad's disobedience. No, he still remained best friends with David. He was still keeping his end of the covenant or agreement that he had made with David, this anointed king, God's anointed king. And instead of Jonathan giving in to fear, fear of his dad, and instead of him giving in to jealousy, because he wasn't jealous of David, instead of those things, he remained a loyal friend to David. And he went out and found David in order to encourage this man of God. And I will say this, that even today in the body of Christ, we need those Jonathans. We need people like him who are going to encourage the saints, encourage the other believers. And and I wonder tonight if you are that encourager that somebody needs. I wonder tonight whom have you encouraged lately in the faith? For, for somebody who was wondering if the Lord loves them or still loves them because of what they're going through, have you been that encourager to remind them of that simple truth that we see in the scripture that, yes, God loves you? Have you been that encourager to that person who feels lonely that, hey, I know you're feeling a little lonely. I know your loved ones just passed away just a few months ago or a few days ago. I know your family members or most of them are not in the same town or state that you live in, but I just want to encourage you and remind you that God is with you, that God has not forsaken you and he never will. Have you been that encourager? And if you haven't, uh, I pray that you would ask God to help you to come in touch with somebody that you could be an encourager to. So, in other words, pray to be a Jonathan. In verse 17, it says, and he said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul. My father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. And Jonathan says, even my father Saul knows that. And so the two of them made a covenant. They made yet another agreement together before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods at Horesh, and Jonathan went to his own house. And so David was obviously experiencing fear. That's why Jonathan told him not to fear. And so while he encouraged David during his time of encouragement, Jonathan also expressed his confidence in the fact that Saul would not find David, that Saul would not kill David. He also expressed his confidence in the fact that David would indeed become the next king of Israel and sit on that throne. Jonathan even expressed a willingness to serve next to David. And I like that. I like the fact that Jonathan reminded David of his future because every now and then we need to be reminded 
of our future. Uh, the future we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we have an awesome future. Because the scriptures tell us that one day we'll bear the image of Jesus. And one day, in other words, we'll receive a glorified body. Bodies that are incorruptible. Uh, bodies that are immortal. Bodies that are spiritual. In other words, that are dominated by the spirit instead of being dominated by the flesh. And so we'll one day bear the image of Jesus. The scriptures tell us that we'll see him as he is and we'll be like him. If, if you want a glimpse of what that glorified body looked like, of what's coming ahead for us, what's in our future as believers, then look at the resurrected body of Jesus. He, he was able to eat, but he did not have to eat. There was a door there, but he didn't have to open the door. He just appeared and disappeared. And, and so you, you can get a glimpse of that resurrected body or that glorified body. That we're going to receive by looking at Jesus after his resurrection. And so our Savior, God the Son, the Son of God, the Word of God with the capital W. For eternity, he'll have a glorified body. For eternity, he'll be, he's fully man. He was already fully God, but he's fully man and, full, and fully God. He's not half and half. No, he's fully God and he's fully man at this point. And of course, the humanity part was the only part in Jesus that was created. Other than that, he was not created because he's eternal. He is God. But yes, at that certain time in history, and this is why we celebrate Christmas, at that certain time in history, yes, he, he took upon a body that the Father prepared for him. But for eternity, he'll have that glorified body. And one day as believers, we'll have that type of body. And we're also in our future, we're going to be with the Lord forever. And I love that the scriptures tell us in Revelation 22 that not only will we dwell with him and God desires, yes, to dwell with us. He desires to tabernacle with his people. Yes, that's true. But not only that, but we'll also get to see his face. That is so awesome. We'll get to see the face of God. Again, that's in Revelation chapter 22. And so we have a great future and we need to be reminded of our future because some of us, yes, we have good days and some of us have bad days. And there's some of us who go through times of depression and times of oppression and times of overwhelming sadness. And we need to be reminded of the fact that we have a great future in the Lord because of our relationship with his son, Jesus. And in verse 19, it says, then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, is David not hiding with us in the strongholds or in the hideouts in the woods in Horesh, in the hill of Achilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? In verse 20, it says, now therefore, O king, and these are the Ziphites talking, they say, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. We're going to turn him over to you. And Saul said, blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. And he says, please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told that David is very crafty. In other words, this man is clever. That's what I've been told, Saul says. And see, therefore, 
and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty. Come back to me with established facts, in other words. And Saul says, and I will go with you. And it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans or families of Judah. And one thing I want to point out is that another psalm came out of this situation. And that psalm that came out of this, that, that David wrote, is Psalm 54. So once again, based on this situation here, when the Ziphites told uh, Saul of King David's whereabouts, David wrote about that in Psalm 54. So I encourage you to take a look at that in your own time. But what we see here with these people, these Ziphites, is that they were proactive and going up to King Saul to tell him where David was hiding. They were proactive in that. Saul didn't have to beat it out of them. He didn't have to threaten them. No, they voluntarily went up to Gibeah and told him. And then they willingly offered their services to King Saul to, to deliver David to him. And maybe they didn't do their research in seeing if Saul was justified in going after David. Maybe they weren't just, maybe they didn't do their research and, and determine whether he was right or wrong. They, they didn't bother trying to figure that out. No, they were just willing to partner with him. And, and maybe it's because they didn't care if he was right or wrong. Maybe they just cared more about protecting themselves from being potentially slaughtered by King Saul. Because Saul was, was, was known to do such a thing to, to, to people if they weren't, were not helpful to him, if, if he perceived that they were on uh, David's side. And so they knew that he was prone to doing something like that. And so and maybe that was the thought in their minds that they wanted to protect themselves from him. And so they were going to be uh, proactive and, and ratting out David. And, and I would say to be careful about helping others do wrong. Uh, be careful about helping others with the wrong beliefs. To, to be supported in those wrong beliefs. All because you're trying to save yourself. So in other words, they're expressing their non-biblical views and, and pushing these non-biblical uh, actions upon you. And, and instead of you putting your foot down and graciously and loving them, telling them that, no, I'm not going to support that. No, I'm not going to believe that. No, I'm not going to do that because I love Jesus. I have a relationship with him and, and I trust the word of God, the Bible, and, and I believe in, in what the word says says and so I'm going to obey the word of God so instead of telling them that some of us try to save face and and we try to protect ourselves from being called a bad name or or, or being looked at in a negative way by the world being ostracized and so some of us may try to save ourselves and so be careful of helping others to do wrong just because you're trying to save yourself because you want to fit in with the world All too often, and we see it more and more these days, many Christians are compromising. You know, Christians you have conversations with, deep conversations with about the word of God, and they express 
their love for the Lord and their love for the word of God to you. And they're open about that. People you known like that who, who've been walking with the Lord for years or at least say they have been. And all of a sudden you see a post on social media that's way different than what they've been expressing to you and to others for years. All of a sudden they start to support views that are totally against what the Lord says in his word. And his word is eternal. Yes, there at a certain time in history, God set apart certain men to write down his word. But I just want to share with you that God's word is eternal. Although it was written down at a certain time in history. It's eternal. Why is it eternal? It's eternal because it came from an eternal God. It was always in the mind of an eternal God. And because God is eternal and he doesn't change, his word does not change. And so for those of us who claim to be aligned with the God of the Bible through faith in Jesus Christ, we should not be changing our beliefs, our biblical beliefs. That's called compromise. In fact, this is what it says in James 4, 4. And this is a timely word for today. Because like I said, we see this more and more today. It says adulterers and adulteresses. And yes, people could spiritually commit adultery against God. By serving other gods. That is false gods. It says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Or is hostility toward God. It says whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world. Makes himself an enemy of God. But, but pastor I thought that the Bible says that God so loves the world. Yes he does love the people in the world. He loves his creation. He loves humanity. But, but, but where it talks about us not being a friend of the world. It means that we don't approve in what uh, the world does. We don't approve of this world system. We don't align ourselves with the world system. It is against God. It's hostility toward God. When we uh, are entering into this friendship with the world to the point where we start doing what they do, supporting what the world does, we become, we act like we are of the world. Then we're telling God that I don't agree with you. You see, this world system is influenced by satan and we know that satan's ways are contrary to god's ways so a question i have tonight is would you rather disagree with jesus whom you say is lord and be against god because you want to avoid being ostracized by the world would you rather be in that position or would you rather be on God's side and suffer for his name if necessary. And on top of that, receive eternal rewards. You know, so funny, and I didn't say this, I didn't come up with this, but, and, and I may be butchering the, the statement, but the statement goes a little something like this. It says, how could we claim to be Christians and disagree with the Jesus, with the Lord that we say we serve? And far too many people who claim to be Christians are doing that, are disagreeing with things that Jesus said. Some Christian will say, oh, but, but I know it says that. 
about that lifestyle or about homosexuality or whatever it may be. I know it says this, this and that and the other in the Old Testament, but, but Jesus, he never talked about it, they would say. And even some people who claim to be Christians would say that. But let me ask you a question. Was Jesus God in the Old Testament? Yes, he was. And do you think the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are going to disagree with each other? Absolutely not. Did Jesus talk about sexual immorality? Yes. So all of that fits under sexual immorality. Did Jesus talk about marriage and he talked about one man and one woman? Yes, he did. Jesus is not going to disagree with himself. He's not going to disagree with the Father. And, and it's sad that some people have these platforms. Blessed to have these platforms. In large churches, and they would say something like that. And I'm not in the, God, in the place of God, but I would say shame on them. And I can say that because I'm standing on the word of God. And I'm just saying what God is saying, and I'm agreeing with God. And those people, especially if they claim to be ministers of the gospels, if they're saying stuff like that, no matter what the topic is, then they need to repent. And that's the bottom line. I know I sound like a wrestler, but I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't even thinking about the wrestler, but I know how that may sound. But in verse 24, it says, so they arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness. They were in the desert of Maon and they were in this plain, the Araba Valley on the south of Jeshimon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore, he went down to the rock and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. And in verse 26, it says, Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And so David made haste to get away from Saul. For Saul and his men, they were encircling David and his men to take them. They were closing in on David. And so we may feel like that at times. We may feel like the world and the enemy, that is the devil, our adversary, are closing in on us and trying to pin us or, or yeah, pin us into a corner. We may feel like the world and the devil are trying to pin us in in a corner through laws, for example, that may affect the church. They're trying to pin us in a corner to maybe try to get us to compromise, to compromise the word of God or to um, violate our conscience. And so maybe we feel like we are pinned in the corner by the world and by the world's leader, Satan, who's once again is influencing the world. However, in verse 27, it says that a messenger came to Saul and this messenger said, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded or raided the land. And therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and he went against the Philistines. So they called that place the rock of escape or the rock of separation Another name could be the cliff of divisions. But I like that phrase, the rock of escape. Because when I think of the rock with a capital R, it reminds me of Jesus. 
And Jesus for us is none other than our rock of escape. So praise God, he is our rock of escape. In other words, Jesus is our way out of trouble. Jesus is our way out of trouble of, of, from making sinful decisions, for example. I don't know if many of you remember this, but there, there's that um, phrase there, that acronym, WWJD, what would Jesus do? So those, those initials there. And, and so he is our way out of trouble. If we focus on Jesus, if we try to remember how Jesus would react, how Jesus would think, what Jesus would say, if we stay focused on the word of God, keep our mind on him, that would keep us from making sinful decisions. He would be our way out of trouble in that regard. See, Jesus is our way or rock of escape out of demonic oppression. See, believers cannot be possessed by demons, but there is a such thing as demonic oppression that I like to, I like to think of it as demons bullying Christians. That can happen. They can't indwell us because the Holy Spirit indwells us. And no demon is stronger than the Holy Spirit. No demon can evict the Holy Spirit. Oh, but they can bully us. They can oppress us. But Jesus is our rock of escape from demonic oppression. Jesus is our rock of escape from demonic attacks. Because in the name of Jesus, those demons, they must flee. Because Jesus has more authority than they do. And Jesus has given us power over all the enemy's power. The scriptures tell us. And that's because we are, we are aligned with Jesus. The king of kings. The lord of lords. We are aligned with Jesus. The word of God. The eternal God. The everlasting father it tells us in, in Isaiah. And the everlasting father just means he's the father of eternity. Wonderful counselor. Oh, that's the Jesus we serve. That's the Jesus who is our rock of escape. And when those demons hear his name, when we call upon the Lord, they must flee. They must listen. He is our rock of escape. He is our rock of escape out of spiritual death. You see, mankind is spiritually dead without Jesus. Because Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of God's perfection. We all have broken at least one of God's laws. And if a person is going to be saved on his or her own, then they would have to perfectly keep the law of God. But that is not possible. Therefore, we need a savior. And of course, that savior is none other than Jesus Christ. And thank God that our Savior has been resurrected. And because he lives, those of us who repent and put our faith in him, we too will live. We'll live in eternity with him. But yes, he is our rock of escape, even out of spiritual death. And somebody could be physically alive. Breathing and moving and driving and making a whole lot of money. They could be a good athlete and doing all these things well. They can have 100% of their health and still be spiritually dead. 
Because once again, when you talk about death, it talks about a separation. And so to be spiritually dead is to be separated from the life of God. You don't have the life of God. In other words, you don't have eternal life, which comes from God in you. And so a person could be, they, they could be the best looking person, drive the best car, have the biggest house, the best looking spouse, beautiful children, and be separated from God. And if that's you tonight, if that's you whenever you're listening to this, I would say that you can change that by repenting, by turning from your sins and putting your faith in Jesus Christ, this rock of escape. But then David in verse 29, it says he went up from there. He went up from the desert of Maon and he dwelt in the strongholds or these hideouts in at En Gedi. And this place in Gedi is is next to the Dead Sea on the western shore of the Dead Sea. And it's about 35 miles southeast of Jerusalem. And and Gedi was known or is known for its fresh water springs. And so in Gedi would have provided enough water for David to survive. And by the way, in Gedi is still there. In 2017, my wife and I, we were, we were blessed to, to go to Israel. We, we were blessed to go to En Gedi in Israel. And like I said, it's still there. And, and we were able to do a little hiking there in Israel. You, you do a lot of walking, a lot of rocks, a lot of climbing. And so we, we did a lot of walking there. And so En Gedi, this place where David was hiding out, it, it's still there. And we were able to see the waterfalls. They call it David waterfalls. Those waterfalls are still there. You see, the Bible is not just, you can't just call it a history book or a geography book or whatever the case may be. But the thing is, when the Bible says something about history, when it says something about geography, it is true. And there has been no archaeological find, by the way, that has disproved the Bible. It supports the scripture. And in Getty is just one of those examples. And so we're so blessed to have been in this place where King David was hiding out. And so this King David, as you can see, was a survivor. This David, he, he found protection in the strongholds. And a stronghold, by the way, could be a walled fortification or some type of fortress. It could be that. But it may be any inaccessible place of refuge or a place of protection, especially an elevated one. And and see, these strongholds that David found safety in, for example, like he did in verse 14, they were... Most likely in caves, in deserts, and in hills. And so these strongholds or these hideouts, they they help to protect David on the surface level. And I put it that way because behind the scenes, it was the Lord who was his true protector. It was God who was his real protection all along. Because yes, he was hiding out in the strongholds, but, and, and, but it says in verse 14 in the second half of it, it says that God did not deliver him into Saul's hands. 
So yes, those physical strongholds served this purpose, but it was God who was the true protector. God even protected him by using the Philistines and that messenger who came with that urgent message in verses 27 and 28. Because they served as a timely distraction that caused Saul to stop his pursuit of David. And to go and fight against the Philistines. So God used, like I said, the messenger and the Philistines. He used, yes, those physical um, those strongholds to protect his manservant, David. This man found protection. And his protection, of course, was in the Lord. And so this shows us that God, yes, can use natural things. And God, yes, he can use people to protect us. He can use people to protect or other people to protect his children. For example, God can use, of course, firefighters to protect people, to protect his children. He can use police officers. He can use, of course, the military to protect his children. For many of us, he's, he's used our parents to protect us from certain dangers. God has even used medicine, medical technology, medical staff to help people, to protect people. He could even use buildings in times of earthquakes. And I've been in quite a few earthquakes, being from California. I've been in some big ones. We used to have earthquake drills and things like that when I was a school teacher and had to turn off the water and turn off the gas and all these things. It would show us where to stand in the doorway if there was an earthquake and so forth. And so God could even use buildings to protect his people. God could even use seatbelts, of course, to protect people. And I grew up at a time where at first it wasn't mandated. And so I would just hop in the car, however old I was, no seatbelt, we'll just drive. The car, of course, was made of real metal. And one of the cars my dad had was a Cadillac. The Cadillac, I don't know how long it was, but it, it was, almost looked like a limo. Those Cadillacs were so long. But it was real metal, real steel, whatever it was made out of. But that thing was real. You didn't want to get hit by the Cadillac my dad drove. But, but we didn't wear seatbelts all the time. But I tell you this, I'm thankful personally for seatbelts. Because I've been in accidents when I was nine years old, accidents as an adult. First year out here in Arizona, we got in a bad accident, car accident. And thank God I was wearing a seatbelt. And so, yes, God can use things like that to keep us safe. But ultimately, the credit for the protection, whether it's an earthquake, whether it's a car accident, or whether a child is choking and their parents come to help them, whatever the case may be, the 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 ultimate credit for that protection goes to the Lord. You see, God is our true hiding place. God is our shelter. God is our place of safety. So are you looking for safety? Have you been looking for safety? Some people have been looking for safety in a relationship some people have been looking for safety in their finances or with the job. 
Some people have been looking for safety from all things with the use of a weapon. And it's not a speech against carrying guns or anything like that. But just saying people are depending on on all kind of things. People use masks these days. If you wear a mask, that's that's between you and the Lord. Not speaking against it, but but some people wear a mask thinking that's 100% safety for them. Whatever the case is, people putting all of their hopes in something or someone as their ultimate source of safety, whereas God is our true place of safety. I like what it says in Psalm 32, verse 7. It says, you, speaking to the Lord, you are my hiding place. You're my refuge, in other words. You're my stronghold. You are my place of safety, the psalmist is saying. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance, Selah. And Selah just means we're going to pause right here and we're going to meditate upon what was just said. That's what Selah means. And in Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And he says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. He is my stronghold. He is my place of safety. My God, in Him I will trust. Is that something we can say today? Is that something we can say right now? That, that God is our true refuge. He's our true fortress. I mean, I'm not saying to, to not take those necessary precautions and to wash your hands or put your, seat, don't put your seatbelt on and things like that. So yes, be careful. When you go home, before you go to sleep, yes, lock the door, set the alarm, whatever you need to do. But ultimately, your refuge, your place of safety is in the Lord. And can you say tonight that, that my God, that he is my God, the God of the Bible is my God, and in him I will trust. See, he is our protection from, yes, natural disasters. He's our protection from things that we don't even know we were in danger of suffering from. Things that could have killed us, he protected us from them. We don't even know. Maybe we'll find out in eternity all the things that he saved us from. But, but he is our protection from those things. He's our protector, our refuge, our stronghold. Or he is our safety from those poor decisions that could have ruined our lives. And we were about to make that poor decisions. We were about to click on that website. You were about to dial that number. You were about to respond in anger. You, oh, you had your fist balled up. You were ready to let it fly. Oh, you drove past that car that cut you off and you almost, you almost said something or did something you would have had to repent it for. You were almost there. You, you almost called it quits in your marriage. You almost let that D word, that divorce word come out of your mouth when you were in that disagreement. Oh, you almost quit when you shouldn't have quit. You almost let that curse word fly when that neighbor was getting on your nerves. Oh, you almost did those things, but, but it was the Holy Spirit. It was the Lord who served as your safety net. He was your protector, and he, and he 
kind of nudged you from the inside and reminded you that, hey, that's not appropriate. That that is not Christ-like. No, you're going to have to repent of that later. And, and that's something just that, that happens in my mind before I say something or do something. I, I have this invisible checklist in my mind. Certain emotions start to well up and I have this checklist. Say that? No. No. And it happens real quick. If I say that, I have to repent for that. If I say that, I may have a hard time ministering to them later. And this quick check- checklist goes through my mind. And for me, I believe that's the Holy Spirit for me. And, and that's the way it works with me, almost like this checklist. And I'm going over all these options, option A, B, C, D. No, that won't work. So I'm going to keep quiet. And praise God, he, he's kept me and many of you from making poor decisions that could ruin your lives or could ruin your uh, potential to minister to somebody later on. Thank God for being our protection, our safety. But in all of those things, most importantly, we need to recognize him as our place of safety from sin, death, and hell. Because it's in him that I am safe from condemnation due to sin. The scriptures tell me that because I'm in Christ, uh, there's no longer any condemnation that applies to me. There is no condemnation for me because I'm in Jesus, in other words. I'm no longer guilty. He took that guilt. He paid for that guilt. He paid the price for my sin on that cross. He didn't pay with money, but he paid with his blood, that precious blood. You cannot put a price on that. That's what he did. Everything, every handwriting that was against you, it was nailed to the cross. And that slate was wiped clean. And there's nothing against you who repented and put your faith in Christ because that forgiveness has been applied to you. You have appropriated it in Christ. And so there's no condemnation for you. There's no guilt for you. You're not on your way to hell. You're not sentenced to eternal death anymore. So in him, I am safe from the condemnation due to sin. And in him, I am safe from being conquered by death. And if you will, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 53 through 57. That shows us that in Christ, we're safe from being conquered by death. And so in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53, it says, for this corruptible, speaking of these bodies, these non-glorified bodies we have right now, it says, for this corruptible, and it's on its way to corruption, it must put on incorruption. That is when we receive our glorified bodies or resurrected bodies, and this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? And Hades being, of course, the, you can consider it the grave, the realm of the dead, or that um, holding place before people go to the eternal lake of fire in Revelation chapter uh, 20, that second death. But, oh, Hades, where's your victory? It says that the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So Jesus has dealt with the sin problem. So for the believer, there is no sting. We get to experience this. There's no sting in death. So if you think of death as a bee, that that stinger has been removed for the bee, from the bee. And so that bee for us, if it lands upon us, it won't do anything to us. And then you have to see death almost as that, as that bee, that the stinger has been removed. Jesus dealt with the sin, with the sin. He paid for it. And so death for us is not something that we should fear as believers, but it's a door for us to walk through, to, to spend that eternity with the Lord. A place where there's no more tears, a place where there's no more death, a place where there's no more sorrow, a, a place where there's no more pain. And Jesus says in Revelation 20 that, that he makes all things new. You see, all those former things, all that former pain that, 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 that are going to be former at that time. All that pain, all that sorrow, that, all that's going to be done away with. All things are going to be made new. And of course, we're going to see his face. And, and we're not going to even need the sun or the moon anymore because it says that God will be our light. There's going to be no need of a temple anymore because God will be the temple. Just be worshiping him. We'll be serving him for eternity, enjoying relationship with him for eternity. But in these scriptures we just read, we see that we are safe in him, that we have the victory in Christ over death. And so in him, in Jesus, as the worship team takes the stage, we are also safe from spending eternity in hell. In him, we are safe from spending eternity in hell. And we're going to read a very familiar verse. John three sixteen. it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So in him, we are safe from perishing, from being destroyed, in other words. Instead, we'll have everlasting life with him. And all this safety that we talked about tonight is because of our relationship with Jesus. And so as Christians, I, I would encourage you to take some time as soon as possible to give the Lord praise for all of the ways he keeps us safe. All of the ways he has kept us safe. I would encourage you to give him praise for the spiritual safety that he gives us from sin and, and, and from death and from hell. I would encourage you to praise him. Give him thanks because he's worthy of our praise for the safety that we find in him. For our relationship because of our relationship in him. And if you haven't made that decision to repent. To turn from your sin and turn from Jesus. In other words, to change your mind about sin and to turn to Jesus. You haven't made that decision. You haven't made the decision to put your faith in him. I would encourage you to do that today because tomorrow is not promised. And that's something that the Lord revealed to me when I was an unbeliever fighting against God in, in 1997. And finally, I gave in. But that's one thing that was revealed to me that tomorrow is not promised when I began to tell him my plans and what he needed to wait for. So if you haven't made that decision to repent and put your trust in Jesus, I would say do it as soon as possible. And then you too will be able to enjoy that safety 
that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for being our safety net. Thank you for being our stronghold. And Lord, you're, you're that for us, for those who have appropriated the forgiveness and the salvation through Jesus. But it's also available to anyone who wants to turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. And so I pray that you would, that you would tug on that person's heart who, whether they're watching through their tablet, phone, TV, in the building, whatever the case is, or listening at a later time to the audio. Lord, tug on their hearts. And I pray that by your grace and mercy like you did for me, that you won't allow them to feel comfortable until they come to that place of repentance. And we thank you, Lord, that you love all of us so much that you sent Jesus to be our place of safety, to be our rock of escape. And I pray, Lord, for the saints under the sound of my voice. Whatever they're going through, maybe it's a health issue, maybe it's a financial issue, maybe it's a family issue. Lord, I pray that they would find encouragement tonight, receive the exhortation tonight to to cast their cares upon you because you care for them. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your attentiveness. I pray the Lord will bless you on your way back home, give you traveling grace. I pray that he'll use you mightily this week. We're in the last days, and he can come back for his church at any moment. Amen. Amen. Yes. Any moment. Come, Lord Jesus. But we should be praying as well that he'll help us to take some other people with us. And how do we do that? It's by sharing the gospel. Just just be a vessel. Be a messenger. And allow him to do the rest. He's the one who saves anyway. We, We just get to partner with him. And so be blessed. Be safe. And like I always like to say, we love you. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.